in my life or all the challenges has always made me incredibly ambitious but that is not me saying I'm better than somebody that found it more difficult at all because I don't know what it is that's that's made me be able to cope better I don't know what it is and I just feel so lucky I mean it's not been easy like you know I've had my therapy I've made my mistakes and done my bad decisions and I still get quite anxious about things and life is long and there's still a road ahead to navigate and who knows if I've really felt the true effect of those things in my past yet you know that is something that I still worry about but I've always somehow managed to keep a level head. I've managed to keep my head above water. Hello, and welcome back to Daddy Issues podcast with me and Harrod George Carey. Daddy Issues is a podcast exploring fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you think you have, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us, so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this conversation as one that needs to be recognised heard and confronted. If you like what you hear, please do feel free to rate, review and subscribe because I love hearing all your feedback, but more importantly, it gets to more ears and the more ears, the merrier. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you get on with the episode now and I hope you have a wonderful listen. In today's episode, I am speaking to Cecilia Knapp. Cecilia is a poet, playwright and novelist. Her poems have appeared in Magma and Bath magazines and she was featured in Vogue as one of the UK's young poets to watch. Cecilia was shortlisted for the 2020 Outspoken Poetry Prize as well as the role of London Laureate in 2018. She's written for The Stage, The Huffington Post, been commissioned by the BBC, The Tate and The Guardian and performed her poems nationally and internationally, including a spot as guest curator of the Cheltenham Literature Festival. Her plays Finding Home and Losing the Night both enjoyed several sold-out London runs before they toured nationally. Her debut novel, Little Boxes, is forthcoming with the Borough Press. Cecilia writes about loss and grief, attempting to understand and find a language for her own experiences. She also writes about sex, shame, her body and navigating the challenges of being a woman. Cecilia teaches creative writing in a number of settings and is the current co-tutor for the Roundhouse Poetry Collective. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode from this incredible woman. So please enjoy this episode with Cecilia Knapp. So before we commence with the normal interview, mm. we have met before. Yeah, obviously. we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you came and um, did some of your incredible poetry ah. at a an event that I, I used to be part of a charity called The Avengers, which everyone listening should make themselves, what's the word? Make known. Make... make. <laughs> Make known to them. <laughs> I don't know. Who um, should get to know. Get to know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I just remember I was being artist liaison with you, as mm. my I like to call myself at the time. That oh. makes me feel like an incredibly important person as well, because... But you are. I, need, I required a, someone to liaise with me. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you back. Oh, yeah. not back. I'm so happy to see you again. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's really lovely to be here. I, I think the podcast is really cool. So I was oh, excited to you. get there. So my flatmate, Emma, um, 
she doesn't really listen to podcasts um she's sort of she's like yeah I don't really get the whole podcast thing um but recently has started listening to daddy issues and she's like see you've got to listen to this podcast blah blah blah. this was like a month or so ago and I was like cool yeah I'm gonna start listening to that sounds really good and then I literally got the email from you being like do you want to come on the podcast and I was like Emma get in here no that's so weird so shout out to Emma if you're listening can I just say what might be even weirder (laughs) is I think I met her at a party the other day yes and my boyfriend as well and your boyfriend (laughs) who I loved did you yeah he said he said to tell you today because I live with him and her I thought Um, so yeah we live together Uh, is this all so weird (laughs) it's really kind of serendipitous isn't it yeah <laughs> he said, um, have a good one and tell her sorry if I was hassling her at the party the other night. <laughs> but I bet you weren't. Oh my god, they definitely weren't. I was loving it so much. It's so ni- it's so nice, obviously, to hear mm. that people enjoy the podcast. Mm. And Emma was being, I mean, so generous in her yeah. thoughts because I was so pleased to hear that the podcast, at least for her, felt like something that she could find comfort and engage like, with engage yeah it with. obviously hits the right note yeah mm. completely can you just take us back to your childhood and where you grew up and then your kind of family dynamic sure well I was actually born in the Midlands um lots of people think I'm from Brighton because I always just say I'm from Brighton because it's easier because I actually did grow up in Brighton with my dad but I was born in the Midlands, uh, in Kettering. It's a, a glamorous town. It's not. There's literally nothing there apart from the hospital and probably like a Nando's. So I was born in Kettering in 1992. And I had two older brothers, Leo. What do they call it when they're so close together, the babies? Like uh, Irish twins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think. So, so he was really, really, really close in age to me. So Leo and, and Hallam, my eldest brother, who is seven years older than me. Mm-hmm. And my mum and my dad. And my mum and my dad were artists. Mm-hmm. So they're running a company together at the time. Um, my dad's a singer. And they were touring around the country, essentially. With She was a sort of stage manager, I guess. Um, very organised. And uh, he was the kind of um, sort of saucy, flaneur type. <laughs> I called him that the other day and he was like... Flaneur, that's outrageous. And I was like, but it's actually so spot on. Um, <laughs> Can you just define what a flaneur is? A flaneur. A flaneur, I think it's like a kind of like sort of restless wanderer type who's kind of also quite charming and charismatic, which really is my dad, mm. like to a T. But I had a happy first few years. I, yeah, we, we just lived in like a, a quite a small town um, near to Kettering. Um, but my dad actually didn't stick around for very long after I was born. So when I was about two and a half, three, he met someone else. Um, he left my mum and he moved to Brighton. And I kind of remember that. I remember the period of adjustment, those kind of years of, of kind of shock or confusion, childlike kind of confusion after, um, he left and there was a few years of very much back and forthing between my mum and dad, you know, the odd weekend with him. But he was also kind of working quite a lot. So I didn't see him properly, really, for quite a few years. And then my mum got sick. So my mum had a really aggressive form of skin cancer, which she battled for quite a few years. And when I was seven, she died. And so although she'd remar- remarried, 
to this really great guy called Gary, who I'm actually no longer in touch with. So Gary, if you're listening for whatever reason, hello. <laughs> um, he was this really like, um, really decent kind of sturdy American dude that she'd met and she'd remarried. I think probably, I don't know, but I think probably maybe with the intention that she knew she was going to die. She had terminal cancer. Mm. And perhaps there was an element of god this man is so robust and he cares for my children so much mm. that i'm going to marry him so that they have options in case you know maybe they don't want to go and live with their dad after i've died and, mm. and uproot their life but but really that was the right thing to do you know you have children that have lost their mother and um the right thing to do is to go and live with your father, I think. So that's what we did. But we left our life in the Midlands and we left our school and we left um, our friends and we left everything that we knew. And we moved to uh, to Brighton, which was a completely different experience. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing that happened was that my eldest brother, Hallam, who uh, was that bit older, decided to stay in the Midlands. Um, for I guess for a number of reasons I mean maybe he didn't want to go and live with my dad maybe it was that he was like 16 and he was like do you know what I'm I'm an adult technically I, I don't have to so he stayed um with an uncle and so basically in a very short space of time the whole family was completely blasted apart yeah um and suddenly you've got me and my brother Leo living in Brighton with my dad and his new wife right you've got no mum anymore and you've got our older brother living with an uncle in the Midlands still you know you've got new schools new environment new everything new friends new friends yeah completely my dad didn't have much money Mm -hmm. he was an artist is an artist still I guess um and so there was a difference in like quality of life as well particularly his new wife didn't stick around for very long once the kids had come if you see what I mean so she was around for a bit and then it just became abundantly clear that she didn't she wasn't up for being mum the new Mm mum not that I really wanted her to be my new mum to be honest but she wasn't up for sharing my dad and it caused a lot of tension in the household and eventually she left and when she left they got divorced and that divorce put a lot of financial pressure on my dad and so we lived within our means for the whole rest of my childhood not that we were like absolutely rolling in dough before but (laughs) we lived within our means and times were tough Mm -hmm. for for most of um for most of the childhood from that point and my dad kind of had to give up singing uh because he couldn't really sustain that type of lifestyle with two kids as a single parent yeah and so he became a an English teacher so he could have more regular hours although he was working at a college for adults um and he was working like into the night and stuff so I always say I was a bit of a latchkey kid Mm -hmm. from the point on from the point of my mother's death onwards you know I did a lot of the cooking dad would leave me like instructions scribbled on the back of a receipt in the kitchen of like how to make a stew or something it was always like something really like potato based I think he was like feed the children potatoes and um is he Irish he's not no he's not but um but he loves a potato um so yeah I did a lot of the cooking we like I was getting the bus to and from school when I was like seven um with Leo my brother and I remember feeling like we were not normal kids compared to the other kids at school. Like other kids at school would get picked up 
um, and other kids at school weren't allowed to do certain things, whereas we were allowed to do kind of whatever we wanted, really. It was mm. it was good in some ways, and I guess bad in others. But um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a very kind of disrupted time. How did you manage and deal with your mother's loss? Because you didn't just have the loss of, obviously, your mother. You had the loss of a, a whole life. Mm. So that would have been like, unbelievably uprooting and destabilizing. But how did you and your brother who you were with like managed to maybe deal with that grief I I never really had a problem getting upset and talking about how I was feeling I've always been like that I've always been a very heart on the sleeve type person so I would often talk about it with for instance my mum's sisters my aunties have been a huge part of my life my mum's got two sisters that she's really really close to um, and they kind of became surrogate mums, really. Um, and I would, you know, I'd talk about it a lot with them. But at the same time, although I've chosen a career as an artist and I often, you know, talk about my life and on stage or on stuff like this, I, I, at the same time, I also do feel quite private and I hate the idea of drawing attention to myself so I, I really profoundly remember when I was at I, I hopped around a lot of primary schools after my mum died because we couldn't we were always moving house because we didn't have much money and stuff so at one of the primary schools that I was at um I was like I'm not going to tell anyone that my mum's died because I hate the kind of like sympathy that comes from it I, I found it really disempowering um and I also found it like quite cr- quite cringe um and so for example at this particular primary school we read this story about a cat that got run over and then I got held back by the teacher after the lesson because they were like Cecilia we really didn't want to upset you with that story because the cat got run over and I was like I remember even at like I must have been like eight or nine at this time I remember at that point thinking fuck off like I this is you're drawing attention to me like you're Mm. making me feel fragile and I don't like it and then Mm -hmm. my peers at school would be like give Cecilia the pencil sharpener because her mum died recently and I hated that I didn't want to kind of exploit it I wanted to just kind of blend in I think Mm. um but with family I was able to talk about it my brother Leo on the other hand really shut down I mean we 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 barely talked about um what happened to our mum uh even though it was something that we had so much in common you know he really didn't want to and he distanced himself from her family he distanced himself from my grandmother and her my mum's sisters um kind of and when he was with them he would play up and be difficult but that's sort of part of a bigger story about Leo because he actually ended up taking his life eight years ago mm-hmm. and the the death of our mum I think was the beginning of a really really difficult period of time for him yeah um in which he just couldn't manage his feelings um he really needed a mum I think mm-hmm. and as much as our dad had the best intentions like he just wasn't around quite a lot of the time because he was at work, basically. Mm. Um, and how did your dad try and manage both of your very different reactions to your mother's loss? 
he didn't really bring it up very much. Um, it's complicated because obviously they had had quite a acrimonious divorce mm. before she died. So it wasn't like he was the grieving widower. It was like he'd left her. Then she'd got sick and died. And that's not me saying he wasn't sad. Um, Cause I'm sure he was absolutely devastated. And sometimes now that he's a bit older and he's, he's softened even more in his age. Sometimes he'll get a bit misty eyed and share an anecdote about their lives together, but that's still quite rare. Um, so he didn't really necessarily bring up our mum dying. He wouldn't sort of sit us down and go, how are you feeling about your mum? But he did sort of buy those kind of books that you get. You know that book that's like, who moved my cheese? And it's it's like this famous book that you give to kids oh, yeah, about change. <laughs> I think anyone that's lost a parent has definitely been shown a copy of this book. It's like, who moved my cheese? And then dad's sort of there like, look, the cheese is in a different place now, but it doesn't mean the cheese didn't exist. And it's like fucking giving kids this cheese analogy to deal with grief. So he did like, bless him, bless him. He did do that. And also like, you know, there's so many ways in which he was a really good dad because he would identify our interests and pursue them um with us so like leo my brother was really into kind of fantasy stuff and sci-fi and um i don't know like period dramas and medieval things so dad used to take us to this like saxon village and like let leo kind of do like weird saxon role play and stuff and um you know would at one point leo really wanted to learn japanese so dad got him a japanese tutor like he was really responsive Mm. um to what we wanted and like he would nurture creativity in us Mm -hmm. he would take us to the theater and stuff um you know to see like musicals and that uh and he would you know that was sort of his way of of showing love but although he is a he's an artist himself he's a creative and he loves things like poetry and you know he'll quote he'll he'll quote under milk wood at christmas and reel off all this dylan thomas and and he's got this incredible voice and he's a phenomenal musician. He's still a man of a certain generation Mm. who is absolute, he's a master of brushing things under the rug and not Mm. talking about them and not addressing them. Like he, he will not engage in conflict. So at Christmas time, if I'm having like a row with my family about, I don't know, they've been a dickhead or they've, (laughs) I don't know, said that I'm being too, PC about something and they're just being foul and I'm like I look over to my dad as 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 a way to be like do you want to jump in here dad and maybe defend me he'll just have his face behind the newspaper like he will avoid conflict at all costs yeah and was that something that was a problem for you both in your relationship growing up it was a problem for me when it came to him it was a problem for me when it came to him like I guess dealing with Leo and stuff like that Um, because I would I quite I'm quite bad I say things that the the minute they pop into my head I I will be quite firm with people particularly my dad and Leo and stuff and that just wasn't him and I would always say oh you know Leo needs this Leo needs a firm hand or and my dad would just be like no Um, so it I guess it was a problem in that sense. And I guess we've never, I guess we've never really had it out. You know, I guess I've never said to him like, 
why did you leave when I why did you leave so soon after I was born was that something to do with me or what do you actually feel like sometimes I sometimes I want him to say how he actually feels rather than giving these kind of I don't know more kind of fence sitting Mm. um yeah opinions or or relaying his experiences he can be a bit I just, yeah, I just don't think that he is a kind of straight down the line dude. Mm. I just don't think that he's the kind of guy that's like, this is exactly how I feel and this is the reason that I did things. It's it's much more kind of wishy-washy with him. And um, we've never come to blows about any of it. Mm. And I think that's, I think that's because of his personality, but I also think it's me too. Like, I don't, I know I've got things that I've not said to my dad and that I've not reconciled with him. But at the same time, when you've lost a parent and you then you've lost a brother, like mm. you cling on to what relationships you have with people and you forgive so much easier. Mm. You know, if my mum was still alive and if Leo hadn't have died, you know, maybe I would be like one of those really, those people that are really angry with their dads Mm -hmm. because, you know, he's not perfect and he did leave my mum and he can be infuriating sometimes, but I've never like shouted at him or had it out with him. I've never been like, you let me down, you did this. Yeah. Because I don't want, maybe I'm not good at conflict either. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, it sounds like in a way because of your experiences, Mm. ironically, you then become what your dad is and brush that thing under the carpet because you just don't want to firstly maybe lose this person not that you necessarily would but it's just it does create I can imagine much more of a fear to lose Mm. someone yeah and I feel very grateful in a lot of ways I was thinking I've been thinking about my dad a lot this week knowing that I'm coming on this podcast and um I've been thinking a lot about how how I feel about him and there's a there's a huge part of me that feels very grateful to have a father like that because we have a friendship Mm. there is a certain level of candor that I can speak to my dad with that I wouldn't do to another kind of adult figure I guess I'm really honest about how I'm feeling I've never lied about where I've been what I've been doing I've Mm. I've never felt the need to do that because he didn't impose those boundaries I was going to ask, is he more of a kind of, has he been more of a friend than a father kind of figure? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think that there's, I could probably only give you a couple of times where he said, no, you mustn't do that or you shouldn't do that. And funnily enough, one of them was about um, going traveling or something, which I never ended up doing because I never had enough money to do it. I, I literally went straight into uni and then straight into work. But I was I was doing the whole I'm 18, I'm going to go traveling thing. And I could see the fear in his face when mm. I said it. And he was like, I, I don't think that's a... He didn't say like, I don't want you to go traveling because it's dangerous. He was He just sort of tried to be like, offer me alternatives that I think he, that in his mind would be safer. Mm. And the other example is when I was learning to drive and he said... I really think you should just learn to drive in an automatic because I, and it was the same, it was the same kind. I know that sounds really silly, but it was the same kind of um, fear in his face that he had when I said I might go traveling on my own. Mm. It was like, I want to protect my daughter, but I'm not going to say in so many words, I want to protect my daughter. It's I'm going to give all sorts of, um, 
you know, arguments to support why mm. she should do this to keep her safe. So those are the ways that he manifests his love. Yeah. He doesn't really say, I love you so much in the way that I've heard other people say to their dads and, and vice versa, you know. And can you tell your dad that you love him? Um, usually I'll say Lo- lots of love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's quite a good one. But I do love him and I, and I, and I, and I think he knows that I do love him deeply and and sometimes I think oh I love him because of his 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 flaws are so I'm sort of wondering if he's going to listen to this so I'm like bloody hell <laughs> this, this would this would get this would ex- accelerate our relationship if he was yeah. but I don't think he I, he doesn't know how to use his phone so I don't Perfect. think he'll be using podcasting apps um <laughs> I what was I talking about just then before I got distracted by that I love I oh love. yeah yeah I often just say to him lots of love but yeah I think the reason that I do love him and I can say that I really love him is not just because he's my dad and not just because he's kind of <laughs> all I've got left in terms of an immediate family but because mm. he is so flawed like he is he's, he's idealistic and whimsical and um he's you know he's in his mid-70s now and he's still dreaming about things that he might do you know Mm. places he might sing you know musical projects that he's gonna start up he did a yoga teacher training at the age of 71 and (laughs) oh my god that's (laughs) that's just the kind of guy he is I just got this image in my head yeah I know he's got no money he's he's got he could probably fit everything every single thing he owns into the back of his Citroen Picasso which Mm. by the way is so battered that I'm actually not sure it's even roadworthy anymore he lives in like a tiny little flat in Brighton overlooking the sea and he spends like six hours a day translating operas from Italian or playing the keyboard <laughs> or literally doing yoga like he's that, a true romantic artist he's a, yeah. he actually is that mm. and and you know sometimes he goes for lunches at his friends houses who all live in kind of two million pound houses in Oxfordshire and yeah, yeah. you know are, are proper grown-ups that have a set of golf clubs and that and and mm. my dad I think he does have a set of golf clubs, but I think they're pretty knackered, bless him. Um, <laughs> he is proper, yeah, he, he's like true to what he is. I'm sure mm. he'd love to have loads of money, mm. but you know, he, at the moment he's like, who needs it? You know, you can't take it with you, sort of, he's very, yeah. and, and that, that is something that I love about him. And when you, you were younger, and even maybe now, like in your adulthood, because you're still very young, mm-hmm. did you and do you crave that parent who does give you boundaries and does tell you a bit about what to do and how to do it and maybe shows their love more aggressively if you will Mm. yes I do I do because I come across as a confident person but I am as I'm sure most people are kind of riddled with self-doubt all the time and you know 99% of the time I don't know what to do really um and yeah, I think sometimes I actually need to be told to stop being like that or, or stop being so neurotic or stop being a warrior. So yeah, I think I, I would, would benefit from a firm, a firm approach sometimes. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I hadn't really thought about that. I think my mum was like the opposite of my dad in the sense that she didn't care about conflict. She would she would say what needed to be said when it needed to be said. Mm. And she would nip things in the bud 
And actually, I was having lunch with my dad the other day, and he said he mentioned that quality in my mum, and he was like, "That was something that I so admired in her." Mm. And I just, I do often wonder what, how I would be different if I'd had her guidance as well as his, or her kind of angle or approach as well as as well as his. Yeah, um, I was so independent growing yeah. up. I, I, I was going to say, I feel like also seeing you now and mm. seeing how you speak and meeting you properly and then hearing that your mum died when you were seven and then obviously you went to your dad who wasn't around that much mm. you could have gone one way or the other totally. and you went down mm. that sort of focused independent mm. kind of keeps your shit together mm. mode and yeah. do you feel like you went that way or is that yeah but I can't tell you why and I actually feel so lucky every day that I did because some, there was obviously something within me that was like, I, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to rock the boat ever. I didn't want to be the, I didn't want to cause any more problems than we'd already had. Mm. I was, I hadn't, yeah, I had no, absolutely no, like, I didn't have to be home at any time. I could be away for days and days and my dad wouldn't really know or mind really yeah um you know I did I did all the things that normal teenagers do but I just did them in moderation Mm. um and I didn't ever get myself into sticky situations I mean in hindsight I did get myself into sticky situations as all teenagers (laughs) do and it's only when you're an adult that you look back and go god I was so vulnerable then why did I do that why did I get in that guy's car why did I go to that party or whatever but I was always dressed and ready for school on a Monday morning and mm. I absolutely smashed it at school I studied really yeah. hard I, th- I think I was quite happy to be left to my own devices Leo on the other hand mm. who when I say went off the rails that is an understatement that's that's what his reaction to the whole thing was mm. was to go off the rails um in a bad way and so when you know when you didn't see him for days on end, you just knew that he was up to something bad, mm-hmm. and he had addiction problems and severe mental health issues. So that's a time when the absence of both parents, one being dead and the other one literally having to work their ass off to keep a roof over their head, mm-hmm. that's an example of when you have two absent parents. is It's an absolute catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was lucky. I mean, I wasn't lucky because I I ended up taking on a caring role for my brother. But I was lucky in the sense that I kept myself on track despite having lost mum and despite dad being away so much and despite having to care for Leo, which was at times, you know, dangerous and stressful. And what age were you when you started caring for Leo? Well, he started to go really off the rails when I was about 13 and he was about 14 because we were very close in age. Yeah, so he started dabbling in kind of drink and drugs at that age. Um, And then because because there was never a parent in the house, um, he sort of had free reign of the house, which wasn't great because the types of people that he was bringing back to the house were not... You wouldn't want a 13-year-old girl around them, if you see what I mean. Mm. Um, so I was caring for Leo in a big way from about, yeah, 13 until he died when I was 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go to university when I was 18, which was a huge 
upheaval because I felt I shouldn't be leaving the family home. I felt I really needed to be there for Leo. Mm -hmm. But by that stage, my dad and Leo had developed this like really beautiful, strange, like cohabiting relationship (laughs) where they would like watch loads of films together. And sometimes Leo would like cook for my dad and it, and it seemed to be, to be really nice between them and, and, they really deeply, deeply cared for each other. Um, and actually when Leo ended up dying, it was, he was in a good place in his life, but ultimately his, his mental health conditions were so profound that he couldn't mm-hmm. uh, rise above them with the, without, the, without more help, which for various reasons we couldn't access for him. And when you say that you became his carer and you started caring for him, being 13 and him being 14... How did that manifest? It was just sort of a lot of cooking, right? Um, yeah, stuff it, like that. He was a big, quite a big drinker, so I would always make sure that he had food in his belly. Yeah, um, and that was that was a big priority. But also just kind of making sure I knew where he was, where he was going, when he was coming back, tidying up after him, things like that. Um, And that's, you know, it wasn't consistently like that, but there were were times when I had to do a lot of kind of... A lot of it was just sitting on the end of his bed and talking to him about how he was feeling, to be honest, because he was going through some really difficult things. What would he say, do you remember, in those conversations? Well, he was gay, Mm -hmm. and um, he couldn't... He couldn't live with that. Mm-hmm. He was like a extreme homophobe inside a young gay lad's body, which I just find so heartbreaking because mm-hmm. you don't, you don't, you're not born with that prejudice. You're taught it, mm-hmm. and so all through his life, he'd obviously been taught that to be a gay man was a negative thing. Um, and a lot of the conversations that we had that went deep into the night would be about you know, me saying that it was absolutely normal and that I accepted him and then would get so far and then he'd sort of recoil and go, no, I don't believe you. You know, he struggled so hard to believe that he would ever be accepted. Mm -hmm. And he never actually came out to my dad. Um, I don't know why. You know, my dad's like an artist and has literally been around the LGBT community his whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think would have... (laughs) would have had like a negative reaction to it but whatever reason whether it was whether it's just that kind of older man younger man dynamic Leo felt that he couldn't come out to my father um or my older brother and so I was the one that kind of told my dad about it after Leo had passed and dad was sort of like no really and I was kind of like I mean dad come on like when Leo was a kid (laughs) he Everyone said, oh, we know he's gay. Like, all my aunties, my mum, even, before she died. Like, we just know. You just know. Yeah. You know, people are born that way. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I I would get my mum to make me, like, princess dresses, Leo would be like, I want princess dresses too. And that was absolutely fine. Yeah. So we'd both be princesses in the garden. And he'd be singing and dancing. And, like, you know, I'm not saying that all... I'm not saying that all gay people are cross-dresses, but I'm just saying Leo (laughs) definitely demonstrated... Um, a more effeminate side a more effeminate side and mm. and, a re- and he was really comfortable with that it wasn't until mm. like puberty hit that then it was like bam suddenly that's wrong and he like he went like hyper masculine for quite a few years like he would absolutely you know like wear like 
very masculine clothes. You would you would you'd save up for tracksuits and wear like dark colors and shave his head. And it was almost like he was like compensating for um, for those years of 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 more of more effeminate behavior or whatever. Yeah. But you know, he was badly bullied at school. Mm-hmm. I was going to um, say school probably factored massively into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was badly bullied at school. He was kicked out of the school that we were at. Uh, right. and so another like rejection, if you will. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and that was actually a time that my dad was like really forthright about something. He was like how could you how can you do this to a to a boy that clearly needs help like mm-hmm. how can you he is clearly vulnerable yeah how can you how can you literally permanently exclude him yeah oh, um, he's got all yeah it's 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 the school that we were at i think it's hard isn't it because so, schools are so you know you, your bog standard state school which is the school that we went to that, that they are the teachers are on their knees. They're, the the yeah. classes are too big. The, the funding's not there. Um, so on one on the one hand, you know, I can I can empathise with the school, but on the other hand, you have a duty of care to those young people. And yes, he was displaying um, problematic behaviour, but he just lost his mum. Yeah, you know, he'd lost his mum in the last few years. He was going down a dodgy road. He was drinking. He was confused about his sexuality. He was. He needed nurturing. He was a very creative boy, and he needed he needed nurturing and holding and and not rejecting. Mm. And when he was rejected from that school, he went to another school that was even more um, kind of it was it was a bad school that the school that he went to, and they just didn't keep up with his, his attendance. And I don't think he went to school from the age of fourteen onwards. I mean, he never he didn't get a GCSE. Mm-hmm. He never got one GCSE, and that's the thing. He's he was he was able to be at home all day every day because my dad was out working. Yeah. But there was no other choice, you know. Brighton's mm. an expensive place to live. My dad slept on a roll-out bed on the floor for the, my entire teenage years in the living room because we could never afford a house big enough for all of us. Mm. And you know, that's just an, that's another sacrifice he made. He sort of made all these quiet sacrifices, and I guess. Sometimes I think, oh, it's easy to criticise him because, you know, sometimes I would like him to be a bit firmer on things. Maybe he could have been a bit firmer with Leo. Maybe he could have been around more. But what option did he have, actually? Hmm. We didn't have any other choice. He didn't have any other choice. We moved around the houses a lot because every house that we went to was so expensive. And, um, yeah, and, and I do... If you if you live in Brighton, it's quite a kind of middle class um, mm-hmm. sort of liberal kind of. Most people are fairly affluent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are areas that are um, that struggle with poverty more, but it's generally quite an affluent area. And both me and Leo, I think, felt like outsiders at school because of our situation and because we didn't have as much money as everyone else. All the bad stuff that's happened to me in my life or all the challenges has always made me incredibly ambitious. But that is not me saying I'm better than somebody that would find it difficult, that that found it more difficult at all, because I don't know what it is that's, that's made me be able to cope better. 
I don't know what it is and I just feel so lucky mm. I mean it's not been easy like you know I've had I've had my therapy I've had my I've made my mistakes and done my bad decisions and that's probably and I still get quite anxious about things and and you know there's still life is long and there's still a, a road ahead to navigate um and and who knows if I've really felt the true effect of those things in my past yet you know that is something that I still worry about but I've always somehow managed to keep a level head mm-hmm. um I've managed to keep my head above water mm-hmm. and maybe that's because I've spent so much time looking after other people mm-hmm. that I'm kind of I was, I've kind of been distracted by that you know um but yes it's 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 definitely motivated me it's certainly motivated me in my career and it's 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 definitely made me a more compassionate person I think um and want to to do stuff in my work that is having some sort of impact or benefit as well Mm. so there are three questions that I'd like to ask you to finish Mm. the first is if your mum was listening to this episode right now what would you want to say to her (gasps) oh my god if my mum was listening to this episode, oh, hi mum, wish that we could have got to know each other a little bit more and um, I hope you think I'm a cool person, that's what I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> if Leo was listening to this episode, what would you want to say to him? Um, I'd say, you dickhead, um, <laughs> I miss you. Um I hope that you're the, that you're proud. He was always very um, invested in me as a person. Like he was very supportive and was really excited when I got into uni and like bought me like some new clothes to wear when I went there and like really sweet yeah. stuff like that. And he was really, I'd only just started writing, bef- just like literally in the months before he died. And when he found out that I was writing, he wanted to hear it all and stuff. So. Mm. I hope I would say to him I hope that the writing that I've done over the last kind of eight years I hope you would enjoy that and think it's good and if your dad was listening to this episode right now what would you want to say to him oh my god sorry dad for airing our (laughs) dirty laundry in public but um I would just say to him that I think he's a remarkable man and that everybody's got their everybody's got their flaws and uh, thank you for being the sort of person that won't disown me after you hear this episode if you hear this episode (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much this year that was just incredible thanks for having me thank you for coming on Thank you so much for listening to this episode with the incredible Cecilia Knapp. Cecilia has dealt with so much grief and loss in her life. And I think the way that she's managed to channel that is both fortunate for her and for everybody else because she seems to have always, as she said, been someone who needed to express how they felt. And that did her a lot of good in the long run and as she said with the experiences that she's had she wants to make work that has an impact and Cecilia's work does that and I can tell you that from experience having sobbed my way to the charity event that I was looking after her as artist liaison she's got a real strength that I think 
is in all of us and can be found. And as she says, she doesn't know why she went one way. And her brother, Leo, of course, went the other. And it is a very interesting look on how grief and your experiences, as well as everything else that people are dealing with within themselves. You know, there's a lot of layers within all of us and a lot of nuanced and individual experiences that we very often don't express and the tragedy of Leo's story and the sort of triumph of Cecilia's yeah it's a very interesting look on how trauma can can manifest itself within families and I just feel so lucky and thank you so much Cecilia it's been an absolute joy having you on and a dream as an interviewer interviewing someone who already had such a language and understanding of how to I guess articulate their experiences because of course she speaks about grief loss and all these sort of deep subjects already you know within her work and daily life so thank you Cecilia wonderful to speak to you and I hope you all had a wonderful listen and I hope you all took as much as I did away from that beautiful episode if you've been affected at all by anything that's come up in the episode, I advise two places where you can visit. The first is Julia Samuel's website, www.juliasamuel.co.uk. The other place is www.untangle.life, which is for people experiencing grief. I'd love to thank Warren Borg at Wargy Productions for doing all the mastering and compressing, and Julietta for providing Daddy Issues podcast season two music, which I am obsessed with. Lastly, I'd love to thank all of you for listening and also staying on this long to listen to the rest of the outro as without you of course there would be no podcast so thank you so much and i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or night <laughs>